Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. This is my confirmation Bible. Leather cover has my name stamped on it and March 22nd, 1964. (laughs) That's kind of an incomprehensible number to some of you, I know. But anyway, leather cover, at least made to look like leather. Had gold edges at one time. They've kind of uh, worn off or faded. And red letters. So that was pretty impressive. I don't think as a kid I'd ever seen a red letter Bible before. And then I got one that had all the words of Jesus in red. I assume they're still making red letter Bibles. I don't actually know. How many of you have a red letter Bible? Quite a few of you. Okay. So for those of you that are history geeks, the first red letter Bible was printed in 1899. Um, A guy uh, by the name of uh, Louis Klopsch, who was the editor of a Christian magazine in New York City called the Christian Herald, came up with this idea. Um, He kind of ran it by his mentor. I didn't write that guy's name down, but he was the pastor at the time of uh, what became the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And, uh, and that pastor, uh, the, the guy who came up with the idea was a layman, ran it past his pastor. The pastor thought it was a good idea. And so 1899, the first one, the first one came out. And Louis Klopsch was inspired by Luke uh, 22, verse 20. This cup is the New Testament in my blood shed for you. So it was the idea of kind of Jesus Writing Jesus' words in blood, you might say. Plus, it had a practical value. Someone who wanted to know, what's Jesus say? All they had to do was open it to one of the Gospels, and, and there it would be. Makes it pretty, pretty easy uh, if you want to do that. Is that important? Well, some people would argue that the rest of the Bible, the word of God, is just as important as the words of Jesus, after all. Nevertheless, it's been been popular now. Well, this year would be the 120th anniversary of red-letter Bibles. I guess there are people that want to know what Jesus said. And my question for you would be, Are you one of them? Do you care what Jesus said? Today is the official beginning of, as Eric said, uh, of the Red Letter Challenge. Uh, There are these books back there, which you can pick up one. Uh, They're asking for um, a donation, if you can, to cover the cost. So... uh, 
So Catherine, three months worth, stick it in there. Um, and, and then there are sign-up sheets for the study groups that are going along with uh, this sermon series, the book, which basically has, as Eric said, something to read and think about every day, and then the opportunity to get together with uh, some friends, some people from here, or uh, you know, people that just hear about it, and uh, kind of process some things with each other. And, I, and that table back there with the blue tablecloth on it um, is where, where you can sign up. There's, uh, there's five groups uh, currently at different times, couple on Sunday, there's one on Wednesday. I'm not sure when they all are. Good thing, um, a good thing to do. I have to confess that when Pastor Dave started talking about this, must be at least a month ago now, that I was a little skeptical. I said, well, wait a minute. We talk about the words of Jesus, you know, every week. Um, so, you know, what would be different about this? But I kind of thought it through and there's a, a little, it's a difference of approach. Typically in a, in a message series, um, there's a topic or a specific text. And then we say, what does Jesus say about that? This is approaching it from the other direction. Let's get the the, the big picture of the things that Jesus says and then distill it down to what he is challenging us. That's the challenge part of it. What in these, in these passages is Jesus challenging us to think about and to, uh, and to put into effect um, in our own lives? And for the next five or six weeks, uh, this is broken down into, uh, I think, five topics, if I understand them correctly. They're being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And each week and in each study group, there's going to be the opportunity to see what Jesus says from a variety of uh, different writers of the New Testament on, on those topics as they relate to our lives. So I hope if you have not signed up already. A lot of people have, but if you have not, you know, th think about that. You can do it still after church today. And in these groups, you'll find out where and why Jesus said things like, God helps those who help themselves. And charity begins at home. And cleanliness is next to godliness. And money is the root of all evil. Okay, actually, Jesus didn't say any of those things. And in fact, none of them are in the Bible. But the point is, people think they are. And maybe in your life, you've heard someone, says, has heard someone say, well, as the, as the good book says, and then they say something that isn't in the good book at all which means it's important to know what is in there and what it is that Jesus does actually say. And that's really kind of the whole point of the red letter challenge 
is to, is to get a clearer picture of what Jesus did and also did not say. But this isn't just a, you know, another university class of, of filling your head with, with you know, data and, and facts and information and there will be a quiz at the end of each session you know, or something like that. It's not so much a question of just what Jesus said, but the real heart of the process is going to be, what are you going to do with it? What difference does it make? What's it all about when it comes down to the everyday life of uh, Joe and Mary Christian? You know, we live in a, in a time and in a culture where we have incredible choices. So many choices, in fact, that sometimes it's overwhelming, isn't it? Um, I needed to get a new drill, a specific kind of drill called a hammer drill so that I could fasten something uh, to a brick wall. So uh, naturally, first of all, um, uh, uh, Jackie, my wife, looked online to see who has them and how much do they cost and all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up going to Home Depot, uh, which according to online had, had one with the best price. But when I got there, oh my gosh, the, the selection uh, of just hammer drills, different brands, all different price levels, what accessories do you want? Do you want a case? Do you want it to come in a case? You know, all these kinds of things. I finally waited until a guy in an orange apron showed up, that takes a while in itself, to ask him some questions and I made my choice. But our lives are like that, like everywhere. Do you want your coffee venti or grande? Do you want caramel or chocolate on that? You know, it's just one choice after another. Choices, choices, choices. I was driving here this morning listening to the radio and, uh, and somebody was, uh, was advertising or talking about custom-made sunglasses, which you can get with titanium frames or stainless steel or, um, or all these other choices. And one of my thoughts was, who needs custom sunglasses, you know? But the choices are, are all out there. In choosing one thing, that involves rejecting the other things, right? There were 10 hammer drills just made by Ryobi, and I had to decide which one I wanted and reject all the others. And I wonder if this, this proliferation of choices in our lives that, you know, that we have the opportunity to make, it is an opportunity, you know, how great! I just I just thought of the of the alternative. When I was in college, I went on a European uh, choir concert tour, and we uh, most of it was in uh, was in what at that time was called West Germany, but they allowed us a couple days in East Germany, and we were in Leipzig, um, and we you know we had some meals provided, but sometimes we were supposed to find a snack or a meal on our own. So a couple of us went to a grocery store in Leipzig. And you know what it was like? It was, here's bees, peas, take them or leave them, you know? Here's potatoes. Here's one kind of carrots. 
This is your choice. You know? We're so used to all the alternatives and options that we don't know what would possibly be different. Well, that was. But I wonder if this abundance, this, uh, this overload of choices has also affected Americans' approach to religion. Sort of a, I'll take this but not that attitude towards religion. Um, I call it loose leaf binder religion faith, you know? It's like we take a page from this and a page from that. Oh, I like reincarnation. That's from Hinduism. I'll stick that in my binder. And yoga's cool. That's from Buddhism. That's all right. Um, I'll stick that in there. And even people who would not go quite so far as to borrow from all the world uh, religions, even within, within Christianity, they create kind of their own designer theology, you know? For example, 72% of Americans believe in heaven, but only 58% believe in hell. So that means that people are choosing, I'm going to believe what the Bible says about heaven, not what it says about the alternative. I'll take the first, fourth, fifth, and eighth commandments, but I think I'll pass on two, three, six, nine, and ten. Oh, I like it when Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. But I don't believe that thing that he said about, for this reason a man will uh, leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't fit with our modern world today. I want to look back with you for a moment at the scripture reading that Bob read a little bit earlier. Justin, can you put it up there? You got it? There you go. All right, let's, it's short. Um, we're just going to review, reread the whole thing. My print's kind of small. Hold on. All right. Therefore, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, before just talking about what I think is probably a pretty obvious meaning to what Jesus says here, I want to make sure that you hear this. What Jesus says here and what Jesus says really everywhere in all of those red letter sentences, he says, because he loves you. And I say that because a lot of the things Jesus said had a lot of do this, don't do that kind of qualities to them, didn't they? I mean, this passage here is the end of what we today know as the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters of Jesus basically 
telling people how to live their lives. I don't know if you've ever sat down and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 all at one time, and all of the things that Jesus says in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, but there is this much gospel in it, all right? It's, it's, it's all do these, don't do that. It sounds judgy. It's pretty confining. You know, if you lust, you're an adulterer. If you hate, you're a murderer. Don't judge, don't worry, love your enemies. These are not all things that everybody wants to hear. It could give you the impression that God is some huge celestial party pooper who wants to spoil all your fun. You know, as if he's standing there with a fistful of thunderbolts in his hand, just waiting for you to break one of his thou shalt nots, and then bam, ha ha, gotcha. Some people feel that way about God, by the way. They've just been raised to believe that God is out to get you because you're a sinner. That's not a real, you know, great way to relate to the master of the universe. Rather, as we get into this red letter challenge, and, and trust me, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it will be Jesus saying, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. Because that's a lot of the teaching he did. He's very practical. But I'd like you to think of what he said a little differently. That, that God is like a father who sets up a fenced yard in which you can play safely. And the do's and the don'ts are the perimeter of your play space. The other side of the fence is the woods. There's wolves out there and poison ivy and sudden drop-offs that you might not expect, especially if you're a little kid. Little kids don't really like rules and regulations very much, do they? And almost any kid in a fenced yard will sooner or later figure out a way to go over it or under it or around it because you want to see what's on the other side. We're a lot like those little kids when it comes to the fences that God has provided for us to live within for our, uh, uh, our satisfaction, our safety, uh, our prosperous, useful, happy lives. God has created these boundaries because he loves us for our good. Listening to Jesus and putting his word into practice is like staying inside the fence. Not because there's not something outside the fence that we wouldn't like to see or discover or explore or experience, but because we know that Jesus, who loves us very much, put that fence there for our own good. 
or based on what we read earlier or heard earlier, listening to Jesus and putting what he says into practice is like building a house on solid ground, on bedrock. Winter is coming. Storms will happen. How's your house going to be when the storms come? A house built on a solid foundation will stand. A house built on sand or mud or in a swamp, not so much. The life built on Jesus and on his word will come through the storms. And yet, how often do we actually choose to jump the fence? How many times have we made the choice to build some part of our life on something not so stable, not so solid, something like sand? Well, Jesus knew very well that we're a lot like little kids who don't like fences. No matter how much his intention in providing them for us was because he loved us. Probably you know how much Jesus loves you. At least, at least we know the words. We have it in our heads. We don't always experientially feel or realize the depth of Jesus' love, but we know the story. We know the facts. Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. You might say, he crossed the fence to go get us from out there. From our messed up, uh, live dangerously, from that kind of life where we were running away, getting ourselves into all kinds of stuff, Jesus crossed the fence to go get us and bring us back and toss us back over the fence into our father's home, into, into that yard. But at what cost? He submitted himself to the consequences of jumping the fence. The wolves got him. Now, if Jesus would do that, then what would make us think that the things that he teaches us and tells us and encourages us and warns us about are not also an expression of his love? And as we get into this series and as you hopefully uh, do some of those um, those, uh, those readings and, and experiment a little bit in your life with some of those challenges and especially as you hopefully will be gathering with, with other people to talk through some of those things. Remember that you have choices to make. And I think it should be said for theological reasons that of course it's God working in us. It's the Holy Spirit who's really doing those things. From a doctrinal point of view, human nature is such that we only have the freedom to choose what's wrong 
And when we choose what's good and right, it's really God working in us and through us to do that. We don't always notice that fine distinction. It's a truth that we may accept. Doesn't necessarily feel that way, but here's the point. You'll be talking about choices and decisions in those red letters, in the things that Jesus says. You have choices. You can build your house on sand. Lots of people are building summer homes on the outer banks of North Carolina. And then they wonder what in the world went wrong when the hurricane came and washed away the pilings and the foundations for those houses. Doesn't seem like it takes rocket surgery to know what happened there. And yet we go on making sand decisions pretty much all the time. You also have the option of choosing to build your life on the rock. Your choice. You can base your faith on what people post on Facebook or what Oprah says or what some scientist claims is fact and truth. Or you or we, myself included, can look at what Jesus says and as he says, not merely who hears these words, but puts them into practice. I hope that it, during this uh, five weeks or so, you will build your life on what Jesus says, on, on God's word, with, with or without them being printed in red lettering. But I would invite you, encourage you, stress the value of taking the red letter challenge to hear what Jesus says and to put it into practice in your life. Let's pray about that, shall we? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your love, which it's really built on and which motivated you to say the things that you said, some of which cut right into our lives. There are some things, uh, Jesus, that we don't very much want to hear you say to us. Um, but I pray that for myself and for your people gathered here, for Christian people everywhere, that your words would, would, uh, would be heard, uh, would take root, would uh, be put into action. Uh, grant us your Holy Spirit in order for us to be able to do that. I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.